Okay, welcome to the first ever Purdue Basketball Podcast. I'm Elliot Bloom, and I'm joined by the longtime voice of the Boilermakers, Larry Clisby. And Larry, let's uh, first of all welcome, and uh, the season starts here in a few days. Thank you very much. Nice to be with you, especially on the initial podcast. I think uh, fans, basketball fans everywhere, especially Purdue fans, are uh, looking forward to this season. Some high expectations on the uh, Boilermakers, ranked 15th in the country in both preseason polls. And obviously the entire college basketball world will get started on Friday night. We open up here in Mackey, a 7 o'clock game against McNeese State. And uh, this, this team, as we've referenced a lot, Larry, this fall has uh, probably a little bit ahead of schedule in terms of our normal amount of practices heading into a season opener. Well, a lot of practices um, when you consider you bring in the Spain trip. So that and the fact that uh, was it last year or the year before when we started to go to October 1st, but and they're starting the season just a little bit later. So really they've had a lot of time to get ready for the first game. and. But I think this year you probably need it because the schedule's pretty pretty good here early in the year. Yeah, I think there's a couple differences. We've started a lot earlier, but also the, the schedule is, is pretty salty early on. I mean, I think a lot of people want to look ahead to the Villanova game on Monday. Uh, I know the staff is focused in on McNeese State, and then the team obviously just got done with a secret scrimmage on Sunday against West Virginia over in Columbus, Ohio. So uh, the obviously the coaches always talk about one game at a time and the focus is on McNeese Friday night but it is a quick turnaround and it is a very good opponent coming in on Monday. So ask, tell me or explain to our listeners why do they call it a secret scrimmage? <laughs> well, it, does, it doesn't seem to be uh, all that secret based on certain things. No, I, I'm not sure why why it's secret. I know the NCAA when, we st when they started these scrimmages a few years ago didn't like the idea of publicizing them or promoting them in any way. The gym is empty except for the two teams sure. and the officials. Other than that, uh, there's really no one in the gym. It's, a, it's kind of a surreal feeling. Um, we went through it, obviously, the, for the first time last year when we scrimmaged Dayton down in Indianapolis. Uh, and I think there's no question it's great preparation for any team. It's a complete mystery why everything has to be secret. I mean, that's a NCAA rule that I could see in the future maybe that starts going away a little bit. I think the danger is when you have a secret scrimmage, the bits of information that leak out are so selective you don't know right. you don't know what to believe, and then you start hearing things that may or may not be true, and then fan bases <laughs> run around with their hairs on, like their hairs on fire. Yeah, I could see two things happening. One, if it is publicized, then people are going to show up. You don't run really around be honest with you. Secondly, what are you going to do? Uh, decide what media members can go and which ones can't. That's that's not going to work. And then uh, finally, you're just uh, worried for what happens already. You get information out. Someone says something to somebody, and before you know it, it's a it's a whole different game that was played. So, but I just wondered. Well, I think, too, that a lot of times the, these, the coaching staffs go into these scrimmages with the idea that we're going to work on some things that maybe we don't want to work on publicly. It's kind of the old thing in football where if you play you know, a Division II team in your home opener, you don't open the playbook up until week two because you don't want the week three opponent to get a good scout on you, that kind of mentality. 
So the a lot of these teams probably don't mind the fact that it's a close scrimmage because a lot of our sets, our set plays, things that maybe we haven't run in the past that we are installing for this year, you don't want that out there. Because once it's out there on game tape and somebody's got a copy of it, everybody knows it. I mean, we're right now, we're beating the bushes for all kinds of McNeese State tape and Villanova tape, and we're watching a bunch of things in pre- preparation for these first two games this coming week. And the teams would do the same thing based on the scrimmages. So I don't think the coaches mind at all that it's uh, behind closed doors. And I think they probably would prefer it be that way going forward. However, you always have the journalists who are going to try to disseminate information, and then they some of them will get it out, some of them won't. Well, and the fans go nuts too, because and rightfully so. This is a, you're playing West Virginia on a neutral floor. I mean, it would be you know it'd be a lot of fun to watch. So uh, I understand all sides of it, and uh, I just don't see it changing anytime soon. But uh, as we look ahead here to uh, not only the this weekend and the opener and everything, but just kind of uh, big picture stuff. I think a lot of the uh, a lot of the news around our our team has been the newcomers with Carson Edwards and Spike Albrick and how they kind of fit into the equation. We saw a little bit of that in the preseason game we had Southern Indiana a week ago. Well, and we saw quite a bit of it in Spain, although it was the first appearances for Carson and Spike, and Spike still was dealing with his health, and that has really improved. But you know, I think both are talented kids it's amazing that when you look at the spectrum you have one a first-year player the other a fifth-year guy and I think they'll blend in very nicely and will be a big part of this team before it's all over and it'll be interesting to see how they they handle everything but I would imagine Spike would just be a guy that would uh, give you an influence just settle people down at all times he's been through all this well and you you were in Spain with us it's amazing to me how different he looks from those games yeah, over there. Right. The four games over there, he was really limited. And I, I know some of our fans probably watched some of those games online so they could see a little bit of it. But when you saw him in person, a couple things were going on. He was getting healthy from his surgery on his hips. And at the same time, he was adjusting. We have a pretty rigorous off-season conditioning program and weight program. And when you're getting healthy and then you get thrown into the mix in that regard, he kind of confessed to me. He said, I've lifted more weights here at Purdue in the first two months than I did my last two years at Michigan. And uh, it looked like that overseas. I was uh, The thing I noted was his, he didn't have the quickness he's got now, which is good to see that that's returned, but he wasn't making shots uh, the, at the clip he is now. We watch him in practice and in that exhibition game, and he's making open shots, which is really good to see. Yeah, you had three of them in that exhibition game that was public. And so, yeah, he looks real good. And then Carson, when he left, uh, when we left Spain and he headed home prior to coming back to campus, I mentioned to him that just be careful when you get home and just make it back safely because you now are the most popular boilermaker in Purdue history. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing that what when stats leak out or when you know game clips leak out, you know people take headlines and that's the and that's a little bit of the age we live in too with the social media thing absolutely uh, now you have 140 characters so if you're going to summarize a game and you look at a quick set of stats from a game over in spain you say oh the freshman had 16 or whatever he had and, it, and that becomes your tweet which now becomes the headline so uh yeah that was a good piece of advice for him because he came back certainly all eyes were on him i saw a bunch of national uh college basketball 
journalist and analyst bringing him up and and they had nothing more to go on than somebody from Purdue tweeting right. that you know exactly. what he had scored in Spain so it's interesting how that works but you're right um, whether it's just or unjust some big expectations have been put on Carson Edwards from a scoring standpoint well and he has that ability but I was impressed in the exhibition game that uh, now I know defensively he was probably not in some of the positions that he should have been because just by reacting to what Coach Painter was saying to him, you know, from our location where we broadcast from. But but he also, you know, I think he had three steals in the game. He seemed his feet were pretty quick and his hands were very quick. And once he gets the ball, he can do some things. The other thing was he did not shoot well from outside, but he drove the ball so well and probably, you know, had the impressive dunk with his left hand coming in from the left side. So... He's not limited to one side of the court or the other. The other was the other one that down at our end that he scored in. I was really impressed how he used both hands to guide the ball in coming in from the right side when he was going against a much bigger player. That was pretty impressive to me. I've, I've rarely ever seen that. And it was like I'm going to make sure I, you know, if right. I don't make it, I'm going to get contact and go to the foul line. The only thing in that game that bothered me tremendously, of course, is what I'm always bothered by is free, free throw shooting. But <laughs> as anybody knows that knows me, I also have um, – I'm, I'm not much for exhibition games. So, And I always say during those games, it doesn't mean anything because all that stuff is uh, – so 5 of 15 for Haas at the foul line doesn't count, thank goodness. Yeah, yeah that's, the, that's the thing. Is all these you know, Spain games, exhibition game. Uh, scrimmage against West Virginia all those stats kind of go out the window as we head into Friday but you're right I mean we the the free throw issue on the other night <clears throat> was hard to hard to watch at times but that's something that hopefully gets sorted out coach Painter's a big fan always saying the right guy's got to shoot him but I would imagine Isaac's going to be at that line quite a bit this year and just since you brought him up I mean this is this is his stage now he's been behind AJ for two years Obviously, uh, AJ's moved on, and and so now he kind of becomes center stage, no pun intended. But uh, it'll be very interesting to see how he handles that starting role moving forward here. Well, and last year he was a 70% free throw shooter, so I would expect him to be around that number again this year, which is fine for a man his size, in my opinion. He's going to get fouled a lot. Just have to still have the same problem with people getting in the way of his size especially with the elbows and you just have to deal with that as the time goes on but he also has pretty good backup in Caleb Swanigan right right and uh, a lot of people he's gonna have a great year I think Caleb's gonna have a great year he just looks like a completely different man well I think the fans will be interested to know this time of year um, Rick Boyages is the associate commissioner of the Big Ten uh, handles men's basketball and he's among the other thing, many things he does, he handles the officiating and uh, signs the games and works with the officials. They actually grade out each game. They, they will send them a, their, the calls that they had incorrect and maybe some of the calls that they um, had a good call on was maybe a close call. And he was in the other day. He visits each Big Ten team in the preseason. He came and visited us uh, last week. And he goes over primarily goes over rule changes and there's not a ton of rule changes this year but there's always points of emphasis and somewhat like last year they're going to continue the points of emphasis on cleaning up the physicality 
and they're they're on they're a big thing is this freedom of movement which means guys making cuts guys trying to get post position so that'll be a big uh last year we had talked about there's going to be a lot of whistles early i wouldn't be shocked to see a lot of whistles early this year as well especially in the non-conference in the front half of the non-conference they are trying to get it so where guys can move a little bit more freely in the half court so uh your statement about isaac going to the foul line a lot i think that's going to happen because the they, they want to try to clean up what's going on in post play, and I think that'll be another issue this year as well. And it could it could mean Isaac Haas goes to that free throw line a lot more. Well, I know Matt doesn't emphasize these things to the players, but did Haas say anything after the game about five for fifteen, or did anybody ask? Yeah, we talked about it with him absolutely. And you you know you look at his mechanics a little bit, and that's obviously you kind of see that during the game. But then I, when we go back and break film down, that you bring him in, he watches film individually. Uh, you're mo- mostly going over in the film. You're mostly going over offensive, defense. Are you in the right position? Are you running? Are you in the right play space on a on a play, that kind of thing? But uh, the coaches did talk to him too about uh, about his mechanics at the free throw line. And then the other thing that was really emphasized to him was get your buns in here on the in the in the morning and get some more work on. So and he's done that. He's been really good about that. Isaac. A lot of people don't realize Isaac comes in on his own a lot of mornings and does a little extra cardio work because he knows that. He can get out of shape a lot quicker than some other guys. Seems he's like not. he's been doing pretty well there too, has he? I... he? Yeah, and I think that's you know, I think a lot of our fans remember when he first came in as a freshman. Oh. You know, his stamina was extremely low, and it's a pretty good credit to him. His his body fat's really gone down. Uh, he looks great, um, and his stamina's really improved. Um, now now that he enters his junior year here with with no AJ Hammonds in the lineup, it, it's more important than ever that he can stay on the floor. You know, there's two things that that Haas needs to overcome. And that's you got to stay off foul problems, and you need to you know keep your uh, keep your wind up, so you can get up and down the floor and get in position to make plays, and, and then you know get in position to score the ball offensively. So uh, he's done a really good job with that. And then you know obviously the proof's in the pudding. We'll see when the game start if that carries over uh, into this non-conference here. Well, we talked about a little bit about our non-conference schedule being a little. Uh, a little more challenging than maybe we've had in years past. And uh, I guess since I'm in charge of the non-conference schedule, um, you know, a couple of those games are the games that get set for you. You know, Villanova's coming here because of the Big East, the Gavit games, the Big East Challenge, basically. And then going to Louisville uh, on November 30th is is the ACC game. Uh, you look at those two, and obviously those are the two that jump out at you from a, a non-conference scheduling standpoint. but. A lot of good opportunities on this non-conference schedule for Purdue to get good wins and help the RPIs. You, you know, it's never too early from a scheduling standpoint to look ahead to March, and with games against Villanova and neutral games against Utah State, potentially Texas Tech or Auburn, Louisville on the road, a neutral game against Arizona State, and a neutral game against Notre Dame. You know, you get a handful of those wins, and th- those are going to be pretty uh, good resume builders as you look towards March. Well, I was kidding the coach too that. Um... For being defending national champion, I'm sure that Jay Wright wasn't terribly excited to have his second game of the year going against Purdue at Mackey Arena, although I, I would imagine they would be favored. But, uh, you know, that's a, that's a pretty tough pill to swallow, too. You say to yourself, geez, what I do to deserve this? You know, just think of us going to Louisville. I mean, same difference, although Purdue's had great success against Rick Pitino. But... That's a tough place to play for anybody. Well, and I think when we first got the, got word that we were playing Villanova here, I mean, obviously we were thrilled. You know, it, it our model's always been if we can get one marquee non-conference home game, 
on the season ticket package. That's that's ideal. And we try to do it when all our fans are here. We try to do it when the students are not on break. Um, so when they came back to us and said, "Hey, we're Villanova's coming in uh, for the Big East Challenge," boy, we were we were excited to see that from a scheduling standpoint. Great opportunity for us, and hopefully uh, Mackey will be uh, will be packed on on Monday. Obviously, I have to get through McNeese State on uh, on Friday night, which tips at seven o'clock. And uh, I know I know this time of when as we record this is kind of middle of the week. Um, right now, you know, this team is uh, is gearing up for that. But obviously, just coming off the scrimmage, you've got the exhibition game and the scrimmage now. Plenty of film to break down as as we head into the non-conference schedule, and that's kind of where they're at, where we're at in terms of a team is looking at that film. And uh, I know this: the guys are they were excited to play West Virginia because it was somebody different, and they're excited to play McNeese State because it's somebody different other than Purdue. And that's what happens this time of year when you're beating up on each other. Well, and the last thing too is I'm a I'm a big fan of of big time games in November, uh, not so much in late December, but if you can have that window there of about 30 days or 20 days and can throw in somebody pretty good like we have done. Uh, by chance, of course, in some of these cases with Villanova and Louisville, I think it's really good because I've, I've looked at some of the other teams' schedules and I've been noticing some really high, some marquee games on the schedule already starting right at the beginning of the season. I think that's the way it should be, really. And as you know, and you, as you alluded to earlier, you schedule these games. The, the biggest problem, of course, is to get home and away games and you know, a lot of people don't want to play on the road at tough places. That's understandable. Some will get at least one. And then these conference tournaments dictate already that you're going to have some. So, But uh, I, I like seeing good games earlier in the year, and I, we're going to have them. Well, last thing I want to talk about here is we uh, are kind of in the middle of our first ever Purdue basketball podcast. Uh, a lot of the uh, preseason publications, magazines, experts, quote-unquote experts, uh, as you look at the Big Ten race, uh, we're in that top four in terms of the people who they feel like are maybe a little bit cut above others in the league. And uh, in that in that quartet, you've got Michigan State, Indiana, uh, Wisconsin, and us. And uh, Wisconsin, kind of pretty much everybody's consensus to be the, the front runner based on the fact that they don't lose one person from last year's team and, and made a good run in the NCAA tournament to the Sweet 16. And and won a lot of games once Coach uh, uh, Greg Gard took over up there. So it'll be interesting to, to how that plays out, but also interesting for Wisconsin, considering the fact this is Greg Gard's first full season at the helm up there in Wisconsin. I'd agree, but I also remember us scoring 91 points on them late in the year. And I continue to say we and us, and sometimes I have to apologize that since I'm not a, you know, not a full-time journal- we can do that. journalist we're, anymore. We're family, just, we're family on this. So but, when I, but when I say we, I'm sure some of the players say, I don't think you've ever scored a basket here, and it's that's true, nor could I. So that is true in that regard. But as we talk about Purdue, um, Wisconsin, you know, they gave us 91. Now we had A.J. and uh, Davis as well. But still uh, – most of our team is back as well, so it'll be pretty interesting after beating them twice in two close games a year ago. Well, and you look at Wisconsin, the, the you know it's such a, such a luxury to have everybody back. The other three teams that we just talked about, you know, Michigan State's a young team; they've had some injuries here in the preseason so far. Uh, we're a different team, obviously, with with losing uh, AJ Hammonds and Rayfield Davis and Johnny Hill, and 
Uh, you lose a lot of defensive uh, power in, from those three. And then uh, you look at Indiana, they're dealing with life after Yogi Ferrell and, and uh, Troy Williams obviously went early to the NBA. So uh, everybody has their own set of problems as they head into the season. Back to uh, our problems, and, and we'll touch on that here, is the defensive side. And I know the coaches, Coach Painter's talked about it a lot, but you've got a shot, arguably the best shot blocker in college basketball at the rim, and then you know one of the best on-ball defenders in the nation, Rayfield Davis. Uh, are out of this lineup, so it's really going to change our identity defensively. Well, that's true, but some could say, but offensively, you could be improved, not in AJ's case, but in, certainly in Ray's case. So, um, you know, it's one or the other, I guess, but you still have a lot of veteran players back, and so I, I think they can get through it, although you've watched more practice than I have defensively. But, what what could be a problem? Well, that's not a secret. Coach Painter's made, I think he's made a, a lot of public comments that says I, he feels pretty good about how we can be offensively. Uh, defense will probably be a work in progress here over the first few weeks. And again, it goes back to the teams that you know are on the schedule. I mean, the, the four teams we played over in Spain, uh, are, and, and I thought Southern Indiana was a really good team, and they were far better than those four teams we played over there. Yeah. Um, so that's a I'd agree. yeah. So it's a uh, it's a it's a chance to see really where you're at from a defensive standpoint when you start playing some more of these teams as we get into the meat of the schedule here. The rest of the Big Ten, as you look at our conference race, uh, a lot of unknowns as there is every year. And uh, last year, I think when we went into that into the Big Ten, not a lot of people had Indiana winning the Big Ten last year. We talked about it before. The unbalanced schedule comes into play so much now in terms of who you play once, who you play twice. We don't. We catch a break in the fact that we don't go to Madison this year, but we do have Michigan State and Indiana both twice, uh, home and home with each of those teams. Yeah, I mean, that's how you live with the league, and I'm okay with that. I think from a fan standpoint and from your fan base, I don't think you draw too many conclusions in the first month of the season, although people like to. And, of course, Elliot, to be honest, you know, people want to see us do well in March. It's unfair sometimes because people say, don't care what you do, just what you do in March, you know, and that's kind of true of almost anybody anymore. It's like, eh, okay, what's next? But I think you have to, at least I do because I get paid by the game, I just kind of enjoy it one game at a time, you know, and see how things go and, you know, how people get into the flow of things and, how people improve, and I honestly believe, I've been around this team for a long time, I thought we did everything great last year. We played in the championship game of the Big Ten tournament in a one-possession game, and I thought we played our best basketball of the year the last three weeks of the season. We were really playing well, and everyone felt really good about this team until, you know, we dropped that game to Little Rock, and, and Again, I say, as people ask about it, they talk about the press and all that, and all I say is, hey, we had 10 minutes to win that game after regulation. Right. You know, it was an overtime game. So, But so much of the whole season, you know, relied on the outcome of that one game, and it was unfortunate because I think the team was doing what you always want, playing their best ball of the year at the end of the year. And I think that was – was illustrated the the, the most ironic or ironic part part of the whole thing was that Michigan State who everybody was saying after the Big Ten tournament championship 
this team is certainly a you know, Final Four capable team, and they lose to a 15th seed in the first round as well. <laughs> so the two teams in the Big Ten championship game went out in the first round, and it was stunning. It was shocking. Well, you, <clears throat> you and I talked about this a few weeks ago. That's where that's where we are as, as a society now in terms of everybody always looks ahead to what's next instead of enjoying the moment. And you said it a minute ago about let's just enjoy it one game at a time. That's hard for people to do. I mean, it is hard for people to just take one game at a time. And there's a sky is falling mentality after losses, and there's a cut down the nets mentality after wins. And we, we have a, a saying that we use all the time in the, in the office, and Coach Katie always said it, it's never as good as it seems, never as bad as it seems. And it's just a way to keep you grounded. Uh, you don't want to get too high after big wins. You don't want to get too low after, after losses. The beauty about college basketball is you can have a handful of losses during the year and still go compete for a Final Four for a national championship. This isn't, uh, you know, this isn't college football where one or two losses put you out of the picture. Uh, it's a beautiful sport in that regard. And there's been a lot of times, look at Villanova last year, they go play Oklahoma right, out in Hawaii right. and absolutely get pummeled. Yes. And it would be very, I don't know how their fan base reacted. I don't know how the, the people, their coaches, I don't know how the people around their program reacted. But I can assume that there were some people that were ready to say, well, not this year. We're writing the season off. And they go on to win a national title. No, no, absolutely. And I can give you another example. Just a few weeks ago, I have this habit of always going and looking at opponents' stories. So if we play somebody, say we play Penn State, we beat them, I always go to their sites and try to find out what was said about the game and so forth. I do the same thing in football with other Big Ten teams. And I had to do that after Penn State beat Ohio State in football just a couple weeks ago. Uh, because I know, growing up in the state of Ohio as I did, that uh, people take that pretty seriously over there. And I have some relatives that take it very seriously. And I heard some of their comments. And then I went and read some of the comments and understand that at this particular time, Urban Meyer was 53-5, and five, and they had people making obnoxious comments about he doesn't know what he's doing, you got to fire the defensive coordinator, the special teams coach, this has got to change, this isn't acceptable. <laughs> and so what did they do? They put up, uh, what, 63, I think, against Nebraska this past week. So, yeah, you're exactly right. People like to get on. And, and it's the same thing about any sport, any time, the Warriors are done after losing two games of their first six. You know, it's over. And then last night, what's-his-name hits 13 three-pointers in a game. So, And that's just the way college basketball is, too. So, Yeah, I think that's that's society, that's sports in general. It's, it's always looking ahead and not enjoying the day, and I think that would be the one thing that I would try to uh, pass along. <laughs> Let's enjoy this a little bit more. Everybody right now is always, they're worried about next year already. And, oh, who's going to play here? Who's going to play there? Oh, yeah. We'll worry about that one. Now, I understand in college sports, too, you're always looking ahead to recruiting because that is the lifeblood of your program. And but, if you're as old as I am, you're just hoping you're breathing next year. <laughs> one of the reasons you just take it one day at a time. So, Well, this has been our first uh, Purdue basketball podcast. I don't know if it's – I don't know if you got anything out of this or not, but hopefully you did. We're going to have more throughout the season. Larry will join me from time to time. Hopefully we'll get some, some guests here from time to time, former players, people around our program here at Purdue and uh, hopefully we'll pass more along to you as the season goes on. So thanks for joining us, everybody.